Well, good morning on this, uh, this summery, hot weekend. So glad to be worshiping with you and so excited to have Pastor Kate with us today, her first Sunday with us as our associate pastor and already helping Glen Kirk Church grow. Um, <laughs> you know, about 10 years ago, the highest paid actor, TV actor in Hollywood had a very public meltdown. And I'm not going to say his name. You could research it and figure it out for yourself. But his drug and alcohol addiction had started to grow out of control. And he started acting very erratically in public. And he loved to be in public. And so he'd do TV interviews saying things, crazy things, like he had tiger blood in him and that he was from Mars. Um, Three times he checked himself into rehab only to quickly check himself out and then appear in public intoxicated and giving another interview. Um, Eventually, the TV show he starred in fired him. And during his public appearances, this particular actor became famous for saying that he was winning whenever he did something destructive or out of control in the public. Um, even though at the time his life was a mess and he was anything but winning. He'd say, look at me, I'm winning. And since then, winning in quotation marks has been kind of a a meme, a kind of ironic uh, statement associated with this particular actor. Because we live in a world where winning is everything. Even if it means you have to redefine what winning is just so you appear to not be losing in life. Our world is obsessed with winning. And this is nothing new to our generation. I've been thinking a lot about this obsession with winning lately. And um, during the summer, I've been uh, rereading a lot of the um, writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you probably noticed since I keep quoting him in sermons the last couple of weeks. And If you're not familiar with him, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Reformed Christian theologian in Germany during World War II uh, who was actively involved in the leadership of the resistance against Nazi ideology until he was um, eventually imprisoned and then martyred in a concentration camp in 1945. And he's probably best known for his classic book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, or, or his book Life Together. But this month, I've been reading his final unfinished book called Ethics. And in ethics, in one of the chapters, Bonhoeffer talks about the world's obsession with winning. See, Nazi ideology prized winning above everything. And this is because they idolized strength and power and dominance as far more important and even despising weakness, powerlessness, and humility. And so in ethics, Bonhoeffer warns that when we as Christians start to idolize winning above all. We become blind to what's right and wrong, blind to truth and lies, decency and malice, because we get tunnel vision, and all we can see is winning. And so instead of idolizing winning, in this particular chapter, Bonhoeffer calls Christians to focus on what he calls formation. And he defines formation as Christians as being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in our life together in the context of the church, the body of Christ. For Bonhoeffer, he says that our formation in the body of Christ is infinitely more important than winning. 
In fact, you might even say that Bonhoeffer redefines what winning looks like for Christians as spiritual formation. Both of the people I talked about redefined winning in very different ways. Today we finish our Pentecost series, Life in the Spirit, and since June... We've been learning about the work of the Holy Spirit in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. And today we, we finish this series by looking at what winning means. How it's defined in our life in the Spirit. But before we look at the final verses of Romans 8, let's kind of review where we've been over the last nine weeks. In, in Romans 8 too, we learned that the Holy Spirit sets us free. That through our faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God does for us what morality is powerless to do for us, setting us free from sin and death. We learn that when we trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. That just like in the Old Testament, the glory of God would fill the temple. When we trust in Jesus, we become a temple for the Holy Spirit and God's presence indwells us. Paul goes so far as to say in Romans 8, 9, that if anyone does not have the Spirit dwelling in them, they don't yet belong to Jesus. The Spirit gives us eternal life. He will one day resurrect us from the grave. The Spirit helps us grow as Christians. Through the Spirit, we are empowered to put to death the inclinations and passions of our bodies that lead us away from God. And we are empowered with spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines that help us grow. The Spirit also leads us. The Spirit adopts us into God's family and makes us His adopted daughters and sons within the family of God. The Spirit assures us that we truly are God's children. His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. The Spirit guarantees our inheritance as God's children. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And when we don't know how to pray... The Spirit prays for us according to God's will with groans that cannot be expressed in words. This is life in the Spirit. This is the Christian life. And as we finish today, we finish by saying and asking, what does it mean to win in this life of the Spirit? And as we prepare for the final verses, I, I want to remind us of some earlier verses that we looked at in Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8, verses 17 and 18. After finding out about us being adopted as God's children and being his sons and daughters, uh, Romans 8, 17 and 18 says that if we are children in this family of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our inheritance in this family as God's sons and daughters includes sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. As Pastor Fleming Rutledge says in, in one of her sermons out of Romans, suffering lies at the very heart of the Christian faith. So winning does not mean not suffering. So what does it mean to win 
in this life in the Spirit? Well, we're going to find out today in Romans 8, 35 through 39. So if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Romans 8, beginning in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. You be seated. These verses build like the crescendo of a symphony, like the, the summit of a, a high mountain that we finally reach the summit of. And these final verses, they don't focus on God's justice or his righteousness or his holiness or even his purposes, which has been the, the subject of the previous verses, but they focus on God's love that has been revealed in Jesus. The love that Paul says earlier in Romans 5, 5, that this love has been poured out into our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And verses 35 and 36 list all of these hypothetical situations that a person might go through that could seem like they could sever this connection with Christ's love. The first situation is trouble, or as the King James Version puts it, tribulation. Uh, Reformed pastor James Boyce says that trouble refers to situations that press down on us. We all go through troubles that weigh so heavily upon us that they feel like they might crush us. Troubles like cancer or stroke. Troubles like a loved one with mental illness or a bankruptcy or a broken relationship or a dream that dies. Yesterday, I went to a friend of mine's birthday. I haven't seen him in probably um, 10 or 12 years. He was a member of my college group at my very first church, so over 30 years ago. And so I've known him for, for over 30 years. And when he was in his mid-40s, he had a stroke. Left him partially paralyzed in a wheelchair. And it's been a burden been something heavy that he's carried, and he and his wife and his kids have carried over the last five years. Everyone goes through troubles, things that weigh us down. We wonder if we can bear them. The word hardship is a little different than trouble. Boyce says that hardships are the situations in our lives where we can feel confined to a narrow, oppressive space. So if troubles our burdens, hardships squeeze us. When I think of hardships, I think of people who are oppressed, victims of injustice. When I think of hardships, I think people who are pawns in the hands of people more powerful than they are. 
people who are the victim of violent crime, people driven from their homes because of war, a little girl denied education just because she's a little girl, or someone who's discriminated against because of their race or their appearance, people who go through hardships or people who have been so limited by the power of others that they lack the capacity to make meaningful choices because they've been confined to a narrow and oppressive space. And lots of people in the world go through hardships. Persecution refers to being pursued by someone intent on harming us because of our faith in Jesus. According to the organization Open Doors International, 300 million Christians today live in places where they experience active persecution because of their faith in Jesus. Just this last year, Open Doors says nearly 5,000 Christians have been arrested or detained for their faith. And more than 5,000 church buildings have been attacked or destroyed. Famine is not having enough food to eat. According to the World Health Organization, nearly 10% of the world's population on any given day doesn't have enough food to sustain them for that day. 830 or 838 million people in the world struggle with not enough food. 149 million children under the age of five experience stunted development because of malnutrition. Nakedness describes poverty that is so severe that people are unable to clothe themselves. Danger refers to social chaos that puts people in danger. And sword refers to the violence of war, whether it's in places today like Ukraine, Myanmar, the civil war in Yemen, the drug wars in Mexico, the Boko Haram uprising in Nigeria, it could go on and on. In verse 36, Paul quotes a psalm. He quotes Psalm 44, for your, face, or for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered like sheep to be slaughtered. This psalm, Psalm 44, was often associated with the Jewish martyrs. And so the last painful circumstance is martyrdom, losing your life for your faith. According to Open Doors International, last year nearly 6,000 Christians in the world were martyred because of their faith in Jesus. Going through any one of these circumstances in these verses could change your life forever. Where's the winning when you're going to sleep at night and you don't have enough food for your family? Or when injustice has robbed you of the capacity of choice. Or when your home is destroyed by war. This passage is assuring us that God guards our connection to his love no matter what painful circumstance we may face. God is guarding our connection to his love. Any one of these situations could change a person's life. But none of them has the capacity to pry our lives away from the love of Christ. I thought about this at my friend's birthday party yesterday. Christ's love is like the strongest glue that you could imagine. Nothing can separate us from his love. In fact, Paul in verse 37 even calls us winners in these kinds of situations. 
In all these things, he says, we are more than conquerors. And the, the Greek word for conqueror is the Greek word Nike. And, and in case you're wondering, yes, that is where the shoe company got their name from the Greek word for winner. And to the word Nike, Paul adds a, a prepositional phrase, the word super or more than. We are super winners, more than conquerors. In these kinds of situations. You see, God promises to bring us victory no matter what defeating circumstance we may go through. God is promising to bring us victory that we will be super winners more than conquerors. The situations of verses 35 and 36 feel defeating. Troubles and hardships, injustice, poverty, persecution, violence, war, they look like defeat. But Paul says that victory is assured even if the situation doesn't change. You see, this victory, this winning is through him who loved us. Not through any change in the circumstance. In our world, if you're being defeated, the way you win is by turning the tables. A comeback victory. And so instead of being troubled, our world views winning as being, bringing troubles on the people who brought troubles to us. Turning the tables. Winning is defined as those who are oppressed rising up and oppressing those who oppressed them. Winning is defined as taking away the food and clothing of those who deprived them of food and clothing. P picking up weapons to seek revenge on those who started the war in the first place. But this is not the way of Jesus. These verses are promising a different kind of winning. A conquering that comes from the love of God. And Paul says this victory is assured. Verses 38 and 39 are like the apex of the chapter, the final notes of the symphony. Bible scholar N.T. Wright says that, that these last two verses point out, they reveal the hidden powers that lay behind the kinds of circumstances that Paul describes in verses 35 and 36. What's behind troubles and hardships? What's behind persecution and poverty Danger, violence, martyrdom. These verses pull back the veil and show the various powers that could be behind them. And Paul lists most of these powers in pairs. The first pair is life and death. The power of death has been a major theme in Romans, especially the first five chapters of Romans. Death is in our world as the consequence of human sin. And the power of death dominates human life on earth. And death includes our physical mortality, our inner inclinations to rebel against God and walk away from God and wander from God, and ultimately the power of death will result in separation from God. And until Jesus comes again, the power of death will continue to dominate life on earth. In fact, in, in Romans 5 verse 14, he says that death reigns in the world like a king. Everywhere we turn, we're reminded that death is reigning. The power of death lays behind sicknesses and illness. 
And oftentimes persecution, war, poverty, and sometimes injustice result in death. But not even the power of death can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. We win even if we die. The second pair are angels and demons. And here Paul peels back the veil to reveal an invisible dimension of life, a realm of angelic spirits who serve God's purposes and fallen angels or demonic spirits who rebel against God's purposes. And the Bible teaches that there are these unseen forces that are at work in our world, some serving the purposes of God and some resisting and and trying to overcome the purposes of God. And some of the situations Paul describes in verses 35 and 36 could be caused by spiritual warfare. And and, and Paul is saying that even these powerful spiritual forces cannot pry us away from Christ's love. That we win even when we're under spiritual attack. The third pair of the present and the future. And I think the present refers to the status quo, the fact that that some things never seem to change no matter how much people try to make them change. Sometimes people say it is what it is, right? Things just are what they are. And sometimes it's the status quo that leads to the painful circumstances of verses 35 and 36. Sometimes the deck seems stacked against certain people. And there's nothing we can do to change the status quo. And the future, of course, refers to all the unknowns and the uncertainties that may happen, that we can't predict, that we can't control, but neither the status quo of the present nor the uncertainties of tomorrow have the power to separate us from the love of God. The last item in verse 38 is any powers, any powers. And sometimes this particular word refers to demonic powers or spiritual powers. But I think Paul's already covered that with the phrase angels and demons. I think the powers he's talking about at the end of this verse are a reference to the power structures around us. Some are visible power structures like our government or industries like entertainment industry, or the media, or companies, or the courts, or the stock market. And some are invisible power structures. Systemic power structures that grant certain people privileges and hold them back from others. Neither visible nor invisible powers can separate us from the love of God. Whoever's in the White House or controls Congress cannot separate us from the love of God. What happens in the economy, no matter what the stock market does, this cannot separate us from the love of God. Any powers that we can imagine, invisible, systemic, visible governments, big tech, racial injustice, big pharma, no power has the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Finally, in verse 39, we find the final pair, height nor depth. And this pair seems a little, doesn't seem to fit at first, but but many Bible teachers have pointed out that, that these two Greek words that Paul uses here were astrological terms, that height referred to the highest planet and depth referred to the lowest planet. 
See, back then, many people believed that the movement of the stars and the planets controlled people's lives, controlled and determined their destiny in life. And some people believe that today. But Paul is saying that the movement of the stars and the planets that are out of our control cannot separate us and determine our lives. Cannot get between us and the love of God. So all of these items in these last two verses, including anything else in all creation, refer to the powers that may lie behind the afflictions listed in verses 35 and 36. The, the power of death, demonic power, the, the status quo, the uncertainty of the future, the power structures of our world, even the stars and the planets. Things that we cannot control, cannot separate us. And here's his point. God will vanquish any power that might try to separate us from God's love. God vanquishes any power. No power can overpower God's power. The power of death itself cannot separate us from his love. The foulest demon, the devil himself, cannot separate us from his love. No what if about the future can separate us from his love, nor corporation or government or institution or systemic injustice can separate us from his love. No alignment of the stars or the planets can separate us from his love because nothing in all of creation has the power to separate us from his love. You know, if someone looked at the life of Jesus during his time on this earth and tried to evaluate whether he was a winner or a loser would probably conclude that he was a loser. Born in a manger to poor parents, a tradesman who became a traveling preacher, abandoned by his closest friends when things got hard, Rejected by the leaders of his own people, questioned by his own family, accused of being a blasphemer by the religious authorities, arrested, beaten, crucified by the Roman government. Not much of a resume of success. You wouldn't put that on your LinkedIn. But of course, as Christians, we all know that this was just the prelude to resurrection and ascension and exaltation. That his rejection and his suffering and his death came first, but then Jesus was vindicated, raised from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that he will one day come again as Lord over all creation. This pattern of death followed by resurrection, of suffering followed by glory, is part of what it means for us to be formed in the image of Jesus. Life in the Spirit is sharing an inheritance of death and resurrection, of suffering and glory. A glory that's already hidden inside of you the moment that you trust in Jesus, but invisible and hidden that will grow and one day be fully revealed. 
And until that day comes, we can be sure that no painful situation we go through, no matter how life-altering it is, can separate us from Christ's love. We can be sure that we are more than conquerors, that we win through him who loved us, no matter what defeating circumstances we may go through, even if those circumstances don't change in this life. And we can be sure that God will vanquish any power that might try to separate us from God's love as it's revealed in Jesus. This is the good news for us today. This is life in the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these familiar, beautiful, awe-inspiring words from your Bible. And Lord, every time I think I understand them, I see more that I've never seen before. Thank you for your great love poured out into our hearts through the gift of your Spirit. Father, thank you for these promises. May they give us assurance and courage that we are more than conquerors, no matter what. For we pray these things in Christ's name.